Hi, this is my dad's podcast, Power Time. What's up, Power Players? Welcome to Season 2 of the Power Time Podcast. I'm Tom Tate. I'm your host and guide, and I will be taking you on an audio journey through the history of Nintendo, one issue of Nintendo Power Magazine at a time. I'm really, really excited for Season 2. We're going to be covering all 12 issues from the year 1991. We're going to kick things off with Volume 20, and that is the Mega Man 3 issue of Nintendo Power, January 1991. I have some special guest commentary in this episode from author Sal Payne, who literally wrote the book on Mega Man 3. So stick around for that. Uh, this is going to be a great episode, and it's going to be a great season. 1991, this is the year that we see the release of the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, Nintendo's 16-bit successor to the NES. And we're also going to see some really great NES titles as well. So even though the Super Nintendo is introduced, uh, we see some of NES's best games. Uh, It's going to be a fun ride. And speaking of the Super Nintendo, if you are listening to this episode in real time, it's October 19th, 2017, at the time of this episode's release. And there's still time uh, to enter my Super Nintendo Entertainment System Classic SNES Classic giveaway. So I'm going to be giving away one of the SNES Classic consoles. It has 21 amazing games on it. Uh, I've been playing uh, an additional one that I have, so I managed to get my hands on two. Uh, They're going to be easier to get, uh, easier than the NES Classic. Uh, But if you want to uh, snag one for free, uh, head on over to powertimepodcast.com slash SNES, and you can see all the details uh, to enter to win uh, an SNES Classic. I'm really excited to give one away. So if you're new to the show, uh, I just want to give you an idea of what to expect. We'll be celebrating the music, the memories, and the history packed in every single issue of Nintendo Power. The format for the podcast is broken down into a few different sections. First, I jump into the cover and the table of contents just to break down uh, the cover of the actual magazine and what's included uh, in this particular issue. Then we jump into the cover story. In this case, we'll be talking about Mega Man 3 what Nintendo Power had to say about it, all the different coverage. And then also we're going to be talking about the history of each cover game. So whatever the cover story is, we're going to dive deep into the history of that topic or that game, uh, talk about the game's development, talk about uh, social commentary and uh, critical commentary on the game. And then also our, our memories. We'll be sharing our memories of the game. Uh, and feel free to write in anytime that you, you'd like uh, if you have specific memories of a specific game. Then we're going to jump into featured games. We'll jump into the previews. Uh, We'll get a glimpse of what games are going to be coming out in the coming months. We'll jump into a section that I call That's So Retro. And this is where I pick out the things that are super 90s. So the things that really remind you of what it was like to live back in 1991. Uh, Then we jump into a section that I call Are We Having Fun Yet? And this is just all the odds and ends, all the fun stuff that I found throughout the issue. Just random things that I thought were super interesting. Uh, And then we uh, hop into the top 10, uh, which is the top 10 Game Boy games in this particular issue and the top 10 uh, NES titles, at least for the first half of the season. And then we'll conclude the episode. 
You can send me any feedback on the format of the show uh, at any time over at tom at powertimepodcast.com. So shoot me an email or you can tweet me at yo powertime on Twitter. But enough with the pleasantries, enough with the introduction because we have so much to cover in this episode and no time to spare. So we're going to crack open that time capsule. We're going to dig it up. We're going to crack it open and we're going to get started. So the year was 1991. The film Home Alone, it continues to dominate the box office for the entire month of January. Madonna and Janet Jackson, they had the top songs according to Billboard. Uh, Unfortunately, the United States was still engaged in the Gulf War. Uh, And we're not going to go too deeply into history of uh, current events of things that were happening in the world. We're not going to get into that. We'll save that for a different podcast because it's January. It's 1991. The holiday season, it's over. It's behind us. And we're entering into a landmark year for Nintendo. But while that golf war raged on, there was another war still brewing. But that war was brewing in the living rooms of young gamers everywhere. I'm talking about the console wars. Because we're at a time when Sega does what Nintendo don't. The Sega Genesis, the 16-bit console, it was going head-to-head with the 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System. And president of Sega in America, Tom Kalinske, he did this awesome segment with Good Morning America where he touted better graphics, more levels of play, better animation on the screen, longer games that are just more fun to play. He really hit at Nintendo uh, really hard on this Good Morning America segment. And I'll put a, a video clip of this in the show notes if you want to check it out. But Nintendo's Howard Phillips, he shot right back. He said, first and foremost, it's games. It's always games. It's like opening up a new movie theater that's got 16 stereophonic sound. But if you don't have any fun movies to watch, who's going to go? And as we'll see in season two of this podcast, not only did Nintendo have the games, but they had one of the best marketing tools to promote them. They had Nintendo Power Magazine. And if you were lucky enough to have a subscription to this magazine, or maybe you didn't have a subscription, but maybe you were in the mall, maybe you were strolling past your local Babbage's, you might have caught a glimpse of one of Nintendo Entertainment System's most treasured games. You might have caught a glimpse of the January 1991 issue of Nintendo Power. So this is a very special issue for me personally. So without delay, let's dive back. Let's take a look at the cover of Volume 20 of Nintendo Power.
So we just heard the intro music to Mega Man 3 as covered by the year 200X, a fantastic band. And I'm going to link that up in the show notes if you want to check out more of their music. So this was the very first issue of Nintendo Power that I actually owned. Uh, so if you want to check out the cover, you can head on over to uh, powertimepodcast.com slash 20. You can check out the show notes to uh, follow along uh, with the actual cover. But only do this if you're not driving or operating heavy machinery. If you're in the car and you're listening, uh, I'll try to paint the picture as well as possible. So if you remember back to volume seven, uh, episode seven of the Power Time podcast, we talked about the cover uh, for the Mega Man 2 issue, and that was done in kind of the claymation style. Uh, this is a little different. So volume 20, still $3.50 in the United States, still four fifty in Canada, uh, and it says Mega Man 3, test your metal on a new mega mission. Uh, metal here, M-E-T-T-L-E, uh, not metal as in metal man. Uh, and here, uh, it's not done in that claymation style. It's kind of a crude drawing. Uh, again, it doesn't really resemble the actual cover art for Mega Man uh, 3. So it's a little interesting uh, that they didn't pull from the box art, but it's a, just a different representation of Mega Man. And there's been so many different representations of Mega Man o- over the years. Uh, and in the background, of course, we can see Dr. Wily's uh, final castle. Uh, and you can see Dr. Wily's spaceship uh, also in the background uh, as, as it's kind of flying away. And the castle itself actually looks like the pixel art. So it looks like they used an illustration for Mega Man, uh, but they used the actual pixel art for the castle, uh, which is cool. Uh, It looks good. Uh, Of course, we have uh, different features in this magazine issue as well. We have Don't Miss Monster Features. We have Deja Vu, The Immortal, and more, which we'll talk about. We have that pull-out poster, uh, always a big selling factor for Nintendo Power. In this case, it's Bart Simpson versus the Space Mutants. Of course, the Simpsons uh, were kind of reaching that early uh, peak when uh, peak in popularity. Uh, so we're going to dive right into this uh, particular issue. There's there's always a letter from the editor, editor that kind of explains uh, some of the new things happening with Nintendo Power. Because this is a new year, uh, this opening letter talks about going monthly. Uh, So this is actually the start of monthly issues, uh, which we didn't have in the past. Uh, Issues were bi-monthly. So every two months, you would receive a new issue of Nintendo Power, uh, and they would have strategy guides in between. The strategy guides are no longer numbered issues. Uh, So we're not going to be covering any strategy guides, but they do continue to release them uh, throughout the years. There's a section here uh, called Today's Technology, and I'm really excited to dive into this one. They tease it in the beginning of the magazine. Tired of tech heads throwing around terms that are totally foreign? Read the special feature on page 28 to learn how game memory really works in straightforward, no-nonsense terms. The report leaks the latest on Nintendo of Japan's 16-bit technology with details about the Super Famicom and its incredible graphics. So not only are we going to learn how the NES works, we're also going to learn more about this 16-bit console that's going to go head-to-head with the Sega Genesis. Uh, Table of contents, flipping uh, a page over, we are going to cover Mega Man 3, of course. We have the Immortal Deja Vu. Uh, There's a full section on Game Boy. So Game Boy continues to get, as it continues to rise in popularity, it continues to get more and more coverage in Nintendo Power, uh, including its own top 10. Uh, So we'll cover the top 10 Game Boy games here as well. The Miracle Piano Teaching System. So if you remember this, uh, we'll talk about it a bit. Uh, but it was an actual piano that you could plug into your NES to learn how to play this instrument. 
and it was really innovative at the time. Uh, I never had one, uh, but I do remember seeing this set up in stores. Uh, so I'm excited to jump into that. And of course, we'll talk about previews and what else is playing. So of course, we're going to keep things rolling with our cover story. a blast of blue energy and bundle of new gadgets the mighty mechanical hero Mega Man has burst onto the scene once again diabolical dr wiley appears to have joined forces with Mega Man's creator dr light he has proposed to build of all things a giant peacekeeping robot elements from eight worlds are needed to complete the invention and it's Mega Man's job to see that those worlds are conquered this is Mega Man 3 So I just want to give a shout out. What we listened to right before that intro was the stage select and game start theme from a band called Close to Good. Uh, thank you so much for giving me permission to use some of your music. We'll hear some more tracks from Close to Good throughout this episode. And uh, Close to Good is actually from my hometown of Philadelphia. So uh, they are local to me. And I had the pleasure of seeing them play a couple times. Uh, so they are a fantastic band. Uh, definitely check them out. So Mega Man 3, developed by Capcom and released at the end of 1990, and according to Nintendo Power, it utilized the MMC3 chip, which we'll talk about later in this episode, and racked up some really solid review scores. So uh, Nintendo Power had a numeric uh, scoring system. You could get five points in different categories. Mega Man 3 in the uh, power meter got a 4.5 in graphics and sound, a 4.2 in play control. 4.2 in challenge uh, and lasting appeal, and then 4.0 in theme and fun. Um, so it did pretty well. Uh, in this issue of Nintendo Power, we learn immediately about Rush, Mega Man's new robo dog to the rescue, and his three different abilities. So in Mega Man 3, uh, you can use the Rush Jet, the Rush Jump, and the Rush Submarine. Uh, so these three different abilities. Uh, will help you get through different levels. Uh, you can leverage the RoboDog Rush. And uh, we also have this really cheesy illustration in Nintendo Power of uh, Mega Man that kind of shows one half uh, his normal uh, look and, and uh, his normal visuals. And then the other half is kind of like a transparent see-through uh, look that shows all of his robotic parts and components. And it lists them out. So if you were ever curious what makes, uh, what makes Mega Man, uh, he consists of a solar panel, a microelectric brain, power generator, uh, his arm cannon, of course. He has a processing unit. He has magna joints, hydraulic suspension in his legs, and he has pressure pumps in his feet. His height, so the actual stats for Mega Man are listed here in Nintendo Power. He is 52 inches tall. He weighs 234 pounds. His motor is 1,500 horsepower, and his shell consists of light ceramic. So I don't know if this is canon. I don't know if this is official Mega Man canon, uh, but it's really interesting that Mega Man kind of, or Nintendo Power lists Mega Man's stats. 
Uh, we go through some different moves. Uh, Dr. Light's design allows Mega Man maximum maneuverability. So we have uh, running, jumping, and sliding. For extra speed and squeezability, Mega Man slides into tight areas. So sliding is a new component in Mega Man 3. We'll talk a little bit about this uh, later on. We also uh, get a glimpse of all of the special powers, the special abilities uh, that Mega Man receives after he defeats uh, each of the robot masters. So the Top Spin, Search Snake, Shadow Blade, Hard Knuckle, Gemini Laser, Spark Shock, Needle Cannon, and Magnet Missile are the eight different abilities that you receive for defeating the robot masters. And then there's also kind of a follow the numbers grid to show you uh, the order in which you could defeat the robot leaders according to Nintendo Power. And there's some contention as to whether or not this should be the official order in which you would beat the bosses. Uh, so there's Magnet Man, Hard Man, Top Man, Shadow Man, Spark Man, Snake Man, Gemini Man, and Needle Man. Uh, those are the eight stages. Uh, and we're going to roll through those eight stages in the Nintendo Power order. We're going to talk about the maps. We're going to talk about all the different bosses and enemy strategies, the location of the items, and some extra details on some of the extra characters uh, as covered here. So to kick it off, I'm actually going to play so much music in this episode because for me, Mega Man 3, as well as Mega Man 2 and some of the others, it's all about the music. Um, so we're actually going to jump right in and we're going to listen to uh, Magnet Man's theme from a band called The Entertainment System. And then we'll be right back. So again, that was Magnet Man's theme by the Entertainment System. Uh, and immediately in the Magnet Man section of Nintendo Power, we learn about Proto Man. So Proto Man is this mysterious new character, and it says a mysterious encounter. The mysterious Break Man means no real harm, although his weapon is real enough. He seems to want to train Mega Man for more formidable opponents. When he's had enough, he'll move on and open the passage. So in Magnet Man's stage, you encounter uh, Proto Man, for the first time. And it's funny that they call him Breakman. They don't reveal his actual identity until later in the game. Uh, but yeah, you meet him in the first, uh, if you follow this order, you'll meet him in this stage. Uh, and there's really no uh, dialogue or no introduction to who he is or what he's all about. They don't really talk about him as far as I can recall in the instruction manual for the game. So uh, Proto Man, who becomes kind of a very important character throughout the series uh, gets introduced to Mega Man, uh, the franchise, for the first time in Mega Man 3. 
So I remember the Magnet Man stage was pretty awesome. There was those uh, floating magnets throughout the stage that would lift you up. I always thought that was a pretty cool mechanic in the game. Uh, You could let them carry you to a certain location. Uh, And then there's some tips uh, and strategies for defeating Magnet Man himself. Uh, He has two forms of attack. Work against his awesome magnetic pull by firing when he relaxes its strength. Then slide under him and as he jumps and keep running from the magnet missiles. Yeah, that doesn't really make sense to me uh, reading it verbatim here in Nintendo Power, uh, but I'm sure it made sense to me when I was a kid. So after that, we have Hardman stage. Uh, and again, we'll take a quick uh, musical interlude to listen to the Hardman theme from, once again, Close to Good. Yeah, I really love that uh, Close to Good rendition of Hard Band. Again, check out the link in the show notes. It's a super jazzy rendition. Uh, here uh, in the actual walkthrough for Hard Band stage, we see that we're going to encounter Proto Man once again. Uh, this time, there's a kind of center platform that is uh, he jumps around. Um, so you have to kind of manage to avoid him jumping, uh, of course, with this center platform getting in the way. Uh, So hard man uh, uses the hard knuckle uh, and that kind of shoots out at you two at a time. You have to try to avoid these, of course, and uh, hitting him with the magnet missiles is his weakness. So you can use the magnet missiles, you can jump uh, and you can hit them because they're going to uh, be attracted to hard man's metal shell. Um, So it's a really uh, good uh, weapon to use against him. So if, if you're following this order, it certainly makes sense. Up next, we're going to cover Top Man stage. And to kick this off, we're going to listen to, uh, very briefly, we'll listen to a clip from a song by The Megas. Uh, It's called Can't Stop the Top. And of course, it is about Top Man. Uh, This entire album that this is from is a tribute to Mega Man 3. Again, check out the link in the show notes. Uh, There's lyrics to this song. I absolutely love it. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, And then we'll talk about Top Man.
So Top Man stage uh, was pretty iconic. Uh, I had a lot of fun with this stage, and of course I enjoyed the music uh, when I was a kid. And uh, there's a couple different things that I remember about this stage. Uh, one is those uh, those enemies that kind of shoot out tops that would come at you, uh, and you would have to destroy the tops or jump over them. Uh, there's kind of a, not mid-level boss, but there are these cats that would shoot out uh, yarn balls at you. I certainly remember those. And there was a couple parts in this stage where you would have these floating tops that were suspended in the air and you would have to jump across uh, just very basic platforming. But I remember when you were on the tops, you would kind of spin around in circles. Uh, but yeah, this was a really fantastic level. And then of course it culminates to encountering Top Man who has, uh, according to Nintendo Power, Top Man attacks with a simple pattern. First, he throws three tops into the air, which stop and converge where Mega Man is standing. Then he spins and charges. Send out the hard knuckle and avoid the tops, then leap over the fiend as he approaches. You'll topple Top Man in no time. Uh, so some pro tips from Nintendo Power for defeating Top Man. And I do remember that kind of three top attack that he would do where they would all kind of converge. I, I don't remember Top Man being too difficult. Uh, up next, we're going to listen to Shadow Man's theme by the one-ups. Again, a super jazzy rendition of Shadow Man's theme. Uh, and then we'll talk about a very creative stage, uh, Shadow Man's level, uh, in just a minute. <laughs> Once again, that was Shadow Man's theme from the one-ups. Uh, this was a really cool stage. You would hit those rooms uh, where the entire level would go dark. Uh, and uh, there were there was these holograms uh, that would appear. And you could wait until they go off screen. And then the lights would come off. And I'm pretty sure if you destroyed them, uh, the lights would uh, come back on as well. So when it comes to actually defeating Shadow Man you only need to use top spin, which is the weapon that you receive from Top Man four times. You only need to hit him four times with top spin uh, and then you'll defeat Shadow Man. So not that difficult if you have that specific ability. Uh, next, we're gonna listen to Sparkman's theme. This is from OC 
remix. And I have to give a shout out uh, to Matthew Green from Press the Buttons and the Power Button Podcast uh, for suggesting that I use this track. Uh, So let's check this out and we'll be right back. So I didn't mention before, that song is called Rock My Socket. Uh, It's a remix from OC Remix by Nostalvania and a really awesome track. So uh, thank you uh, for producing such a great song. And you can check that out over at Overclocked Remix. I'll put a link in the show notes. So I remember Sparkman stage very fondly, uh, but I do remember it being very challenging. There's a section, it's actually covered here in Nintendo Power, It's a platforming section where you jump across these blocks with up arrows on each block. And as you land on the block, it sort of shoots up, it propels to the ceiling. And the ceiling is lined with those uh, one hit kill spike blocks. Um, So as soon as you jump on a specific block, uh, you have to quickly move to jump to the next one. Some of them you have to let uh, go up to a certain level uh, before you jump to the next one. Uh, So I remember this very fondly, but again, as I mentioned, it's super challenging. And then of course, when you get to Sparkman, um, who's going to be shooting sparks at you, of course, uh, it says here in Nintendo Power, seven shots from the Shadow Blade uh, will knock the power out of Sparkman. Keep your distance as he sends out small sparks and hit him as he gears up. Um, So not super challenging, again, if you're using the appropriate ability. Uh, So we're almost uh, towards the end here. We have a few more Robot Masters and their layers to cover. Uh, We're going to jump right into Snake Man, and we're going to listen to a cover of Snake Man stage uh, by the band Extra Lives.
So once again, that was Snake Man by Extra Lives. I want to uh, just give a shout out to that uh, that band for being as awesome as they are. They have these YouTube videos. Uh, production quality is super high and all of the songs are amazing. Uh, and I had the pleasure of interviewing them on the show a few episodes back. So if you want to check that out, uh, check it out on iTunes uh, or you can check out powertimepodcast.com. Uh, you'll find it in the archive. Uh, so I think Snake Man Stage, uh, there's a shot in Snake Man Stage that I think is kind of the go-to iconic uh, screenshot from Mega Man 3, and that is the coiled uh, snake. It's a big snake head that shoots these big shock fireballs at you. Uh, and while that's happening, uh, the platforms leading up to the snake are kind of uh, going up and down in different segments. Uh, so I don't know that I'm describing this well. I'm sure if you played the game, uh, you can remember this. And you have to uh, jump up and time your shot uh, just right um, so that you can uh, hit the the tip of the this big snake's head. Um, it's a really fantastic enemy design, and it definitely looked really cool back on the NES back in the day. Uh, and the entire level just looks like a giant coiled snake. Um, so this is a really great level, and uh, I do remember this one fondly as well. And then, of course, when you get to uh, Snake Man, uh, it actually says you can just hit him with the arm cannon, um, and the arm cannon does just fine uh, with with Snake Man. You just kind of hang out on the middle platform of his particular boss level. And I actually remember Snake Man being the first enemy that I would go after when I played this game for whatever reason. Probably for this reason, because the arm cannon uh, is just as effective against Snake Man as anyone else. So up next, uh, we have Gemini Man stage. And this is one of my favorite tracks. This is one of my favorite songs from the game. And we're going to listen to an artist called Kojum Dip. Uh, and we're going to listen to his rendition of Gemini Man. So again, that was Kojum Dip uh, with his Gemini Man cover. You can check out a link in the show notes. I want to just give a shout out to him. Uh, I just discovered Kojum Dip's uh, Mega Man 3 tribute a few days ago, and I reached out to him, and he was so quick uh, to reply and give me permission to use that track. Um, So thank you so much. And uh, again, check out that link in the show notes. Uh, So there are some really cool things happening in this level, things that I, whenever I think about Mega Man 3, I think about these things, uh, and I'm sure that you remember this, right? So there are the uh, fish eggs, where you would have to kind of shoot through the fish eggs to progress through the stage, and as you shot through the fish eggs, uh, you would unleash these little 
uh, these little tadpoles that will kind of fly out at you. Uh, this is a really good opportunity to kind of farm uh, some energy. So if you needed to uh, get some energy, a lot of times you would get extra lives. You would get the Mega Man head uh, that would, would appear. Uh, and you can kind of farm extra lives doing this. Um, this happens again in the stage. There are the penguin makers uh, who produce a steady flow of bomber penguins, right? So it's these penguin robots who shoot out little penguins. Uh, and you could just kind of sit there and uh, let those penguins come at you and farm energy and again, farm extra lives. And I remember doing that a lot. Uh, and then of course, later in this stage, uh, you reach a point where you can't go any further. There's kind of a barrier uh, to moving down to the next stage in the level. Uh, but of course we have Proto Man or Break Man, as he's mentioned here, uh, who comes and kind of opens up the way uh, for you to move forward. Um, so I remember that. Uh, I remember this level probably more than any other level. Uh, there's a lot of variety in this, of course. Uh, there are, is a part of the stage, I think, where you can use uh, the submarine, um, which I remember doing as kind of a quick shortcut. When you get to Gemini Man, he splits into two. Um, and I remember being so challenged uh, by Gemini Man uh, in the early days of playing this game. Uh, but I learned later that if you just use the search snake, uh, you can kind of... Uh, be sure to get him because I don't believe he uh, jumps as he's running towards you. I, I could be wrong there. Um, but I think that uh, as long as you don't jump, he won't jump. It's really easy just to use the search snake. Turn around quickly as he's chasing you. Use the search snake. Uh, and then you can you can uh, dispatch of Gemini Man very quickly. Uh, really fantastic level. Uh, we are going to bypass music for Needleman just because uh, we are already so uh, deep into this episode. And if you're listening for the first time, episodes are not not usually this long. I just cannot resist playing all this music from Mega Man. Uh, so Needleman stage, uh, again, just a lot of side-scrolling maps here and then uh, strategy for uh, defeating Needleman. You'll want to use the Gemini laser, of course, only four shots of the Gemini laser uh, to dispatch of Needleman. And then after that, after you defeated the eight robot masters, uh, we see four uh, shadow masters kind of appear in the Sparkman, Gemini Man, Needleman, and Shadow Man spots of the stage select screen. Uh, and when you go to these levels, uh, they're kind of remixed uh, versions of the levels that you've previously played. But when you get there, and I actually wish that Nintendo Power didn't reveal this because I think that you know, if you stumble upon this in Nintendo Power, you lose some of the excitement of stumbling upon it in the actual game. Uh, but when you go to these remix levels, in each level, you're going to encounter two of the robot masters from Mega Man 2. Uh, so it's a complete throwback. You are go actually going to uh, come toe-to-toe -to -toe against Metal Man, Quick Man, Heat Man, Wood Man, Flash Man, Bubble Man, Air Man, and Crash Man. All eight bosses from Mega Man 2 make their way into Mega Man 3. And I thought that this was just absolutely genius and I loved it, uh, but it was something that if, I can't remember if I stumbled upon it in Nintendo Power first, but you know, looking back, I wish that this was concealed just a little bit more. Um, so you'll go through that uh, and you will defeat uh, the eight robot masters from Mega Man 2. Um, and then of course there are five stages uh, in Wily's castle, the Skull Compound. Uh, then in that, uh, you'll be defeating the Rock Monster, uh, which makes an appearance in a lot of different Mega Man games. 
uh, you will be defeating Mega Man, uh, a clone of Mega Man, um, which is a very interesting battle in this game. And then you'll go up against all eight robots that you've defeated already as well. Um, so it's a very, very challenging uh, set of stages, uh, Wily's Castle in Mega Man 3, uh, but very, very enjoyable. We're going to listen to an awesome cover real fast of Dr. Wily's Stage 1 by Kid Overdrive, and then we're going to dig into the history of this iconic title. We're going to dig into the actual production of this game. once again that was wily stage one by kid overdrive and uh let's just jump right in i'm going to preface by saying that most of my knowledge and research on the development of Mega Man 3 it comes from hardcore gaming 101 uh it comes from a couple different websites that i'll link up in the show notes but a lot of it comes from sal payne's boss fight book on Mega Man 3 so as i mentioned earlier sal literally wrote the book on Mega Man 3 uh, and he was kind enough to let me interview him so I'll be splicing in commentary for my interview with Sal throughout this segment. So I covered Mega Man 2 in episode 7, and you can actually go and check that out if you haven't already, powertimepodcast.com slash 7. And in that episode, I discussed how Mega Man 2 was developed as this sort of pet project during the off hours with director Akira Kitamura, Kieji Inifun. Uh, and the rest of the staff for Mega Man 2 in this kind of four-month time frame. Again, I'm going to apologize every episode for butchering uh, Japanese names. So Akira Kitamura and Kieji Inafune, um, they were kind of the head uh, developers, the, the director uh, and kind of head designer for Mega Man uh, 2. Uh, and this was done while the team was working on Professional Baseball Murder Mystery, uh, which is a completely uh, baffling game. Uh, that I would love for you to learn more and you can learn more in Sal's book. Mega Man 2, it ended up being released and of course it was released uh, and received with great acclaim. Mega Man 2 is still to date kind of one of most Mega Man fans' number one spot. So if you ask people to rank the Mega Mans, we'll talk about this too in the episode, uh, it's often regarded as the number one Mega Man game and it's also regarded as one of the best NES titles of all time. I mean, it, it made its way onto the NES Classic that was released last year. So while Kitamura and Inafune had to convince Capcom higher-ups to continue the series with 2, the success of 2 kind of yielded this desire from Capcom to produce a successor in the franchise. 
So as uh, Sal writes throughout the book, it, you know, it's kind of the success of two that really establishes the franchise and then uh, it continues with three. Uh, but here's something new that I learned in my research this time around. Kitamura, the director of Mega Man, he was initially inspired by Japanese Ranger television shows. Uh, so I'm going to read a quick quote uh, from the Boss Fight book for Mega Man 3. Kitamura took the lion's share of inspiration for Mega Man from Japanese Ranger shows like Kamen Rider, Ninja Captor, or the Super Sentai series, which was later rebranded for American audiences as Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. In a 2011 interview with artist Hatoshi Ariga for a Mega Man manga collection translated by fan website Shmuplations, Kitamura revealed that he wanted to replicate the story structures from those shows in what would eventually become Mega Man. The protagonists of Super Sentai or Ninja Captor are usually single-colored ranger heroes who do battle with a hokey, mostly offstage villain who dispatches a new foe each week. American kids who came of age in the 90s might remember Rita Repulsa from Power Rangers sending a new monster after the titular teens each episode. Dr. Wily was originally conceived as a Rita Repulsa-esque villain, and the various robot masters were supposed to represent whatever monsters of the week he'd order to kill the protagonists. I never thought about this. So again, that is a direct uh, quote from from the book, and again, I recommend this book uh, very highly. I've never thought of this before, but it makes total sense. And of course, the color uh, of Mega Man and how he changes color throughout uh, certainly is a callback to this style of Japanese television. Uh, and it, it really is, is awesome uh, to kind of get this commentary and get this, this, uh, these details uh, into how this series came to be. Uh, so, of course, that was uh, in reference to Mega Man 1 and Mega Man 2. Uh, and before the development of Mega Man 3, before it really kicked off, uh, Kitamura actually leaves Capcom. And the baton for Mega Man 3 was, was not passed on to Inafune, who is often known as kind of the godfather of Mega Man. Uh, he's often referenced as the, you know, the creator of Mega Man. He's talked about highly as somebody who worked heavily on, on the series, and he did. Uh, but the uh, role of director, uh, it was not passed on to Inafune. It was passed on to Masahiko uh, Kurokawa. Um, and I just want to uh, listen to this clip real fast by Sal uh, as he describes this, uh, th these events that transpired in the Mega Man uh, 3 development process. Yeah, it, it really is a shocking story. And the whole thing is in Mega Man 3, the, the book. So if you're interested in that, you should check out the book. But like generally, yeah, uh, Akira Kitamura is really the creator of Mega Man, but that is a name that's not really well known in the States. It's definitely Keiji Inafune. That's who I always thought was behind the series. I thought he was the Shigeru Miyamoto of Mega Man. Sure. But that's not really the case. Um, he's closer to, I'm blanking on his name now, I think Igarashi, the guy who kind of helms Castlevania for uh, many years, um, but wasn't maybe there at the start of the series. Uh, so Inafune was there on Mega Man 1, but he was brought in after development had already kind of started, uh, planning had already started. So the character existed. Um, it was designed by this guy named Kitamura, and then he kind of had a lot of very concrete ideas about how Mega Man 1 and 2 should play. And he left after Mega Man 2 because he felt that he wasn't getting enough credit. He couldn't put, you know, Mega Man 1 and 2, when you beat them, there's only pseudonyms that come down in the credits, right? So he wanted credit, so he formed his own uh, game studio, 
where he put his name front and center. And the game they put out was Cocorone, which I highly recommend. It's a, it's a Famicom game, but I have the Famicom one, and you, you can emulate it really easily. It feels like a shadow version of Mega Man 3, so okay. it's totally awesome to play. Um, but then they didn't hand over Mega Man 3 to Inafune immediately, even though he had been there. They handed it over to this other guy, Kurokawa, and he mysteriously quit halfway through the process. And no one is, no one really knows why, and nobody will really say why. Inafune has maybe taken a few shots over the years uh, as time has gone by, but we're, we don't really know. So then halfway through, Inafune gets the project, they rush it out the door, and that's kind of what's interesting to me about it because as a kid, it just felt like the perfect version of Mega Man, like the crystallization of everything from one and two. But apparently, it was just a, a completely troubled development process, and you know they weren't even sure if they were going to get it out in time. And this idea that the development was troubled is certainly surprising. And there's this quote from Nintendo Power Volume 220. So this is Volume 20. In 200 more issues, uh, there will be an interview with Inafune uh, where he backs this up. And I quote, I knew that if we had more time to polish it, we could do a lot of things better, make it, make it a better game. But the company said that we needed to release it. The whole environment behind what went into the production of the game is what I least favored. Numbers one and two, I really wanted to make the games. I was so excited about them. Number three, it just turned very different. Um, so it seems like, you know, there's just so much going on behind the scenes uh, that really makes this game in, in the creator's minds inferior uh, to one and two. And the music is distinctly different too. Uh, the soundtrack was produced by Harumi Fujita, who started the project, but she leaves shortly after because she had a child. And Yasuaki Fujita steps in to complete the project, but there is a distinct difference in the music compared to the previous Mega Man's, especially Mega Man 2 soundtrack, uh, which was composed by Takashi Tatishi. Uh, before this development uh, turmoil kind of happened, uh, Kitamura did continue to try to put his stamp on the series. So he asked his successor to keep driving the narrative forward uh, towards this ranger show style uh, that he favored in Japan. And he's actually credited as the creator of Proto Man and Rush. Uh, so these two new characters who make their debut in Mega Man 3. And of course, the trope of Rush and, and Proto Man, or Break Man as you've referred to in this issue, um, he's revealed uh, as Mega Man's brother later in the, uh, in the game. Uh, and that kind of fits the archetype perfectly. You're not quite sure if he's an ally or if he's a villain. And this character frequently shows up in these Japanese television shows that Kitamura favored. Um, so it's it's really interesting uh, to look behind the scenes at how this game was made. Uh, and But it ended up being successful, so successful that you know Mega Man 4, 5, and 6 are all released on the NES. They continue to produce the series. Uh, but this seems to be kind of a turning point uh, for the franchise on the NES. And it's crazy uh, to see how polarizing the argument is between whether Mega Man 2 is a better game than Mega Man 3. Uh, this is an argument that I had in my schoolyard days, and it's an argument that happens on message boards uh, today. Uh, they're so similar, yet for diehard fans of Mega Man, there are so many different nuanced, uh, slight tweaks between the two um, that make them uh, totally unique gaming experiences. So for me, you know, the introduction of the slide and the introduction of Rush, uh, these are very different levels of play 
g- gameplay elements that are introduced. And the introduction of Proto Man introduces a cool new intriguing character uh, that we didn't have before, an intriguing plot element uh, trying to decipher uh, what his deal is. And, you know, there's this complete lack of narrative still in the game uh, unless you're reading the instruction manual. But, you know, even Mega Man 3, uh, which, you know, supposedly puts a emphasis on narrative, it emits that animated opening sequence that Mega Man 2 had, you know, where Mega Man is standing on top of the skyscraper and it, uh, the music kicks in and then it pans up. You don't have any of that in Mega Man 3. You just kind of have the start screen. Um, so I was really curious to get Sal's take on, you know, what is it about this debate between Mega Man 2 and 3? Uh, where does this come from? Uh, and here's a quick clip of Sal and I discussing why this debate might be so heated. You don't really see this debate with other games. Like, I don't see uh, gamers debating what's better, Ninja Gaiden 2 or 3 or Castlevania mm-hmm. 2 or 3, the same way that they debate Mega Man 2 versus Mega Man 3. So why do you think, you know, that this debate might be so heated? You know, I always kind of thought it was because a lot of other franchises feel so different across installments, right? Like if you're going to argue what's the best Mario game, you know, they kind of retain similar mechanics, but there's like Super Mario Galaxy. Yeah, it's so different than Super Mario World or Super Mario 2. It's like, how can you really compare these things? But then you bring up Ninja Gaiden Castlevania, and that's a pretty good point of like, well, Ninja Gaiden 1 through 3 are basically – feel really similar in Castlevania one and three feel really similar. I wonder if in those franchises, like there's clear cut, like Castlevania one and three are clearly probably superior to, to two, even if I, even if people defend two and with Ninja Gaiden, it's probably one and two are, are the best. But with Mega Man, I think you really could make a case for any, anything from two through six. I think it's harder to do it with five and six, but I think two through four especially are really close. And I kind of do touch on this in the book, but I really do feel it's like whatever one hit you first is the one that generally you gravitate to. And it's just that like two and three came out before the Super Nintendo. So that's why most people, sure. you know, got that one and one didn't sell as well as two is two and three because four you can. I think you really could make a case for four because it has the it has the slide, but it also has the charge shot. I guess, you know, I guess my hypothesis here, I, this is a great question because I haven't thought about this, is maybe it's just because they are all so close, they are all so identical, and there's so many of them. Sure. So it's not even just like between Castlevania 1 and 3, but it's between six very closely related games where even the structure is, is similar. So again, I definitely want to uh, thank Sal once again for coming on the show. I have a full 20-minute interview where we dug into all sorts of topics, uh, other games outside of the Mega Man uh, franchise, and I will probably edit that up and air it next week. Uh, So if you want some bonus audio, look out for that maybe around Tuesday, uh, and definitely check out his book, which I will link to in the show notes so that you can check that out. So I want to dig a little bit into my memories of this game, and I would love to hear your thoughts and your memories as well. So you can reach out to me at tom at powertimepodcast.com if you want to shoot me an email and let me know some stories that you have around Mega Man 3. Uh, For me, it was the very first Mega Man that I played. uh, And I think that's why it kind of sits so firmly at the epicenter of my nostalgic sentiment towards the franchise. Uh, It was my introduction to the series. Uh, And ever since then, I went back, I played 1 and 2. I played 4, 5, and 6. Uh, later, I would play nine and ten, uh, and I would I would play all the games in the main series, uh, and then I would play X one through three. 
Fortunately, I stopped at three, so I have to go revisit four, five, six, seven. I don't even know how many X uh, games there are. I lost track. I played through all the Zero titles. I played through the PSP remakes. I I purchased the Anniversary Collection on GameCube and PlayStation 2. Uh, the legacy collection uh, that I also have uh, on PlayStation. This is just one of my favorite franchises. Uh, But going back to Mega Man 3, I borrowed this game from my neighbor. And I just remember playing the heck out of it. Uh, I had my own little password booklet uh, that I would create myself. And I talked to John Harrison, uh, who also did this. John Harrison created his own password booklet uh, for, I believe, Mega Man 2. Uh, So I I remember doing this uh, very frequently for a lot of games, especially the ones that I borrowed. I would write the passwords down in my own little tips and tricks uh, in my own little booklets. Uh, But this was my first, uh, you know, Mega Man experience. Uh, The slide, it was amazing. I remember it really was a game-changing mechanic for me that made the game a little bit more faster, a little bit more fluid, uh, definitely more fun. And I also think the difficulty in Mega Man 3 was toned down a little bit. Uh, this game was not as, you know, Nintendo hard as Mega Man 2. And I think I enjoyed that as a kid, uh, feeling like I could complete this game. And I did. Uh, but I also remember explicitly the day that I had to give this back. My next door neighbor, he came over, he knocked on the door. Uh, I think I was actually playing it at the time that he asked for it back. And it was just painful. I had to turn it off and give it to him. Uh, but I would later receive, and we'll talk about this, of course, in the future. I would later receive Mega Man 4 as a birthday gift. And uh, because that was mine, that was the first Mega Man that I actually owned. Uh, I completely mastered that game. I beat that game a hundred times over. Uh, and I have a, a really strong soft spot for Mega Man 4 as well. Uh, but we will get into that uh, when we hit Mega Man 4 in the future. Uh, but I encourage you uh, to play Mega Man 3 again. Uh, if you haven't played it in a long time, go back and check it out. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can play the, uh, Mega Man 3 legally today. Uh, One of the easiest ways to do it is to pick up the Legacy Collection on Nintendo 3DS or I believe the Xbox One uh, and PlayStation 4. Um, You can also pick up a standalone copy of Mega Man 3 on the 3DS eShop if you just want to play that one title. Or you can track down a copy of the Anniversary Collection on GameCube or PS2. They're surprisingly not that expensive on Amazon if you want to pick those up used. Uh, But we are so far into this episode. Uh, We've been talking a lot about Mega Man. I want to move on uh, just so we can get through. Uh, But I really hope that you enjoyed this exploration of Mega Man 3. I hope you enjoyed some of Sal's commentary. And uh, feel free to, again, share your memories with me at YoPowerTime on Twitter, YOPowerTime, or email me, Tom, at PowerTimePodcast.com. If you want me to uh, share any of those memories on the show, I'll be happy to do so. So we're going to jump right into some featured games. Uh, We're going to kind of breeze through the rest of this issue just because, as I mentioned, this episode is longer than usual because of all the music. uh, And I don't like episodes to go too much over one hour. I believe one of the last times I did that was the Mega Man 2 episode for the exact same reason. Uh, So let's just breeze through this issue. uh, And then, uh, of course, uh, next week we'll be back with uh, Volume 21. Uh, So the featured game uh, after Mega Man uh, 3 is The Immortal. Uh, Dungeon Dwelling Danger Awaits. Uh, So this is a really interesting game. Long have you trained in the mystic arts under the mighty Mordemir of the Crimson Keep. So when your teacher mysteriously disappears, you loyally take up the task of locating him. From Mordemir's notebook, The Codex of the Serpent, 
you learn of his earlier explorations in the Labyrinth of Eternity, a dungeon located beneath the dragon-devastated city of Aranach. Um, so, of course, uh, this game developed by Electronic Arts, uh, you can quickly see uh, that this is kind of a dungeon crawler, a dungeon adventure, uh, a fantasy tale uh, by all of these, uh, as, as you can tell by all the uh, typical fantasy terms that are being thrown out there. Uh, and in Nintendo Power, we have det- a detailed walkthrough of the first five, seven or eight. Um, I, it looks like there's eight levels in this game uh, and we have detailed walkthroughs of the first five levels uh, to help you get through. Up next, we have another featured game and this one I, I love. I think this is a fantastic game. It's called Deja Vu. Uh, it is the film noir version of Shadowgate. Uh, This was developed by Kemco Sika. You travel through these different locations searching for clues. So it's kind of like a point-and-click adventure. It's slightly different. Uh, If you've ever played Shadowgate, uh, you'll kind of know uh, this this type of game. Uh, But you're searching for clues. You keep track of the items and clues that you have in a notebook. Uh, There are a lot of tips on how to progress through the case here in Nintendo Power. Lots of screenshots that are showcasing the various scenes and settings. Uh, you kind of traverse through this world. I, I think you're in Hollywood. Um, you go to a casino, you go to Joe's bar, you go to a wine cellar. Uh, you even have a scene in the men's washroom. Uh, so there's a lot of different scenes here, uh, a lot of clues to unearth. There's a section in this issue to actually take notes. Um, so if you want to write notes in Nintendo Power Magazine of what you find, uh, you can do that here. Um, Like most reviews in Nintendo Power, I'm going to criticize this one here for giving away too much. Uh, They take you all the way through the game. Uh, So this is a murder mystery type of game, and they are giving away the mystery uh, by just throwing out way too many details from the game. Um, So this is a PC-style game. I know it's slightly more challenging uh, for uh, Nintendo players uh, who aren't used to that PC style of gameplay. Uh, but they are just giving away way too many details here. Uh, But it is nice uh, that they have the uh, solid walkthrough here for you if you need it. Uh, They also have a walkthrough on the back of the poster. Uh, So the poster for this issue, as we mentioned, was Bart versus the Space Mutants, and on the back side, uh, they have kind of a diagram on how to progress through the entire game of Deja Vu, uh, which is cool. So the next featured game in this issue is Gremlins 2 the new batch. And of course, uh, this game, it was developed by Sunsoft, who is also the developer of Batman, Journey to Silius, Blaster Master. And I know that this is a game based on a movie license. And typically those games do not fare well on video game consoles, but we've seen that Sunsoft really can do a great job with franchises. They did a fantastic job with Batman. They know how to develop awesome games. Uh, So this was a really fun game. There's some cool things noted in this review. Eight directional scrolling. It's kind of a top-down view uh, exploration action game. There's a lot of different weapons you can use, items, shops that you can enter to purchase items, uh, variety, uh, a lot of variety in the five stages that are covered uh, here. But what I want to note here is that Gremlins 2, uh, the, the film adaptation or video game adaptation of the film Gremlins 2, uh, it received an 11-page review in this issue. So that is a lot of real estate uh, for a game like Gremlins 2. Don't get me wrong, fantastic game. Uh, but I just thought it was so interesting how much real estate it took up. 
there is a huge Game Boy section in this issue as well. Uh, this Game Boy section covers Dragon's Lair, F1 Race, Super Scrabble, uh, Burai Fighter Deluxe, and Mercenary Force. We're seeing some uh, ports over to the Game Boy. Uh, not too sure how they fared. Uh, but I, I, I do like that the Game Boy continues to get an increasing amount of uh, coverage uh, within Nintendo Power. Uh, and then, of course, we have the Now Playing section. And Now Playing is a glance at some recent released uh, games that didn't score uh, feature coverage, but they still may appeal to some players. So they can't, uh, the editors of Nintendo Power can't write about every single game. Uh, so these are quick blurbs about games that were recently released. Uh, we hear about Conquest of the Crystal Palace, Jackie Chan's Action Kung Fu, Silver Surfer, The Adventure of Rad Gravity, Werewolf, and Arch Rivals. Uh, some of these games are, are good. Uh, some of them not so good. Uh, if you have any fond memories of those games, definitely reach out. Uh, hopefully uh, you didn't get stuck with a poor rental uh, back in the day. Uh, next up, we're going to shift off over to our next segment, which is previews. Uh, so in previews, we're going to take a look at the exciting games that are being released in the coming months. Uh, and previews are now really covered. They used to have a big featured preview, uh, but now they're all kind of condensed into PackWatch, uh, P-A-K Watch, PackWatch. And PackWatch is just going to run through uh, some of the games that are most promising uh, that they will be covering in future issues of Nintendo Power. Uh, the first one here is G.I. Joe uh, from Taxon, which, of course, is based on G.I. Joe. Uh, Metal Storm, which we're going to cover extensively in issue 22. So in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about Metal Storm. Uh, this is kind of a side-scrolling action-adventure shoot-em-up game. Uh, there's a robot baseball game called Base Wars, a helicopter simulator, and Bill Elliott's NASCAR Challenge uh, coming from Konami and Ultra. Oh, and Pirates. Uh, Pirates ended up being a pretty cool game. Uh, Monopoly, rendition of Monopoly. I played a ton of that on the NES. Uh, Zombie Nation. And in this issue, uh, this issue has a Super Famicom showcase. Uh, so, of course, we are getting these little bits of information and screenshots uh, about the Super Famicom, which later would be the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. So we actually see an image of the system. This might be a first for a Nintendo Power issue. We see an image of the Super Famicom. We see an image of Mario carrying baby Yoshi. This is an illustration. We see Super Mario Brothers 4 Super Mario World branding from giant characters to an almost 3D look. So we get full details on Super Mario World. Uh, the game looks fantastic. And we even see a screenshot of Mario riding Yoshi. Um, so we get a glimpse that like this is a gameplay mechanic that is coming. Uh, so this is really exciting stuff. F-Zero and Pilot Wings are also referenced as games that launched uh, with the Super Famicom. So uh, this is begins the kind of the trickle marketing effect of uh, the Super Famicom. And, and we'll talk about this issue after issue because they leak out these little details uh, leading up to the release. Uh, we learned about Uninvited, which is another Shadowgate-style game uh, from Kemko Sika, who developed Deja Vu, which we talked about earlier. Galaxy 5000, Mini Putt, uh, Tailspin from the Disney Afternoon uh, collection of games. Battletoads, uh, which again will be a covered game that we'll talk about later on in the season. Darkman, and a few more games. Uh, what I really wanted to note here from Packwatch is they have a list of games that are coming soon. And they have a list of games that are coming later. 
uh, because they didn't really have official release dates back in this time period. Uh, games just kind of showed up. Uh, but in the list of games that are coming later, the original Earthbound, uh, the original Mother, was listed as a game that was coming to the, the NES. Uh, we talked about this before, but I just think it's so interesting that it's still here. It's still listed as a game that's coming soon, uh, and it never actually made it here. Uh, so we're going to break up this episode real fast with, uh, I guess this is our last track that we'll listen to. This is another Closer to Good track. This is from Mega Man 3, and this is covering the game's ending. So up next, we have That's So Retro. We're going to kick off That's So Retro with a really interesting and fantastic article about how Nintendo, the console, actually worked. So this feature is called Why Your Game Packs Never Forget. And it starts off by talking about how featured games in Nintendo Power will now sometimes display information like program memory size, character memory size, and work RAM. So what is this stuff? Uh, These are numbers that appear Uh, in the actual reviews for Nintendo Power reviewed games. Uh, But these numbers are essentially meaningless to most gamers and most consumers uh, because uh, they haven't really been explained to anyone. So this article breaks down what all of these things are. Early games used NROM, or read-only memory, uh, which consisted of two microchips, one for the program and one for the characters. The program's ROM max size was 256K, The character ROM's max size was 64K. Uh, So when we talk about NROM, we're talking about these two different chips. The UNROM, UNROM, was introduced, which had a RAM chip to store additional data. This introduced a concept that Nintendo calls bank switching. This allows you to have multiple programs on one chip, and then you can switch when needed. Uh, So the next evolution of chips for NES game packs was the MMC or the Memory Management Console. There's a whole page here uh, in Nintendo Power which breaks down how these work and how they differ. It's called the MMC Encyclopedia. I definitely recommend if you're interested in tech and you're interested in the tech side of things uh, to seek out this article. So the MMC-1, this was the first MMC chip, still very popular. Uh, The Legend of Zelda and Metroid used this chip. The ability to scroll horizontally and vertically, this was attributed to the MMC-1. Uh, in this particular article. The MMC-2, this is interesting, but it says that only Punch-Out, Punch-Out, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out was the only game uh, to use the MMC-2. 
All the minor details in the boxer's motion and facial expressions were credited to this particular MMC, uh, which they were very important in that game uh, because they queued up uh, different moves that the boxers were about to do. Um, So that was interesting uh, to read that only Punch-Out used that chip. So the MMC3, uh, which we talked about in the Super Mario Brothers 3 episode, was used, uh, which allowed split-screen scrolling. So it allowed uh, developers to break up the screen into different segments. Uh, You could have the screen split, and then only one portion of the screen would scroll. Uh, It also introduced a timer function, which allowed Mario to sprint uh, in Mario 3. This was all using the MMC3, and in the reviews, we see a lot of different Uh, game packs make use of this as well. And then the MMC5, the latest edition, has a better battery uh, backup system. Uh, So we have vertical split-screen scrolling, more power power, uh, from the control deck CPU, and now you don't have to hold down reset on your control tech while pushing power to save games. Uh, And it also mentions that you get better colors uh, in Castlevania 3 using the MMC5 chip. Uh, So a lot of interesting stuff here on the tech side. Again, uh, seek this out. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, where you can check this out. Um, But yeah, this was really awesome. Uh, Up next, the player's poll section mailbox. Uh, We have letters from readers, and we actually have a letter from the Waz, Steve, Mr. T. Wozniak from Los Gatos, California. And many of us know the Waz as the co-founder of Apple. Uh, We talked about him before as well because he had... Uh, one of the highest Tetris scores uh, listed in uh, one of the episodes uh, in one of the issues of Nintendo Power uh, because he was so uh, big into Game Boy Tetris. Uh, talks a little bit about that here, uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, Counselor's Corner. So Counselor's Corner is where there are different strategies, tips, tricks, and cheats uh, in games. We hear about Destiny of an Emperor, Dungeon Magic, Crystallis, and Swords and Serpents. Uh, but what I'd like to do is highlight one of the gameplay counselors uh, in each episode. And this episode, we are highlighting Caesar Filori. Uh, he became a gameplay counselor in September of 1989. His hobbies include music, beating other GPCs at Baseball Stars, playing Australian rules football, his best NES accomplishment. This is absolutely amazing. I think you'll really appreciate this. He completed Contra in 15 minutes in one life with the power glove. I cannot imagine anyone defeating uh, most games, let alone Contra in 15 minutes with one life using the power glove. So uh, Cesar Flore, whose favorite NES game is Mega Man 3, very fitting for this episode. Uh, we salute you here at Power Time. And then finally, to conclude, That's So Retro, the celebrity profile is New Kids on the Block. So this is the popular boy band back in the day. What do Danny, Donnie, Jordan, John, Joey, and Howard have in common? Their love of the NES and Game Boy, of course. Uh, this details an encounter with Nintendo's Howard Phillips and the New Kids. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg, a confirmed Nintendo maniac, really appreciated the chance to get some tips from the Game Master in person. Uh, This article also reveals some details about their game and development by Parker Brothers. Uh, I don't really remember uh, if this game was any good. I'll have to look into it, but it's from the same developers behind The Simpsons and A Boy and His Blob, uh, two games that, you know, fare pretty well uh, on the NES, so I'll check that out for sure. Up next, our our kind of uh, almost concluding segment is Are We Having Fun Yet?, And uh, in this segment, we have Howard and Nestor 
which is the iconic Nintendo Power comic strip. Uh, this is tied around a solar jetman. So it has a solar jetman theme. Uh, and then we have this article that I've referenced earlier on the Miracle Piano Teaching System. Uh, this came with a full-size piano keyboard. It was compatible with the NES. And uh, it came with an NES game pack that contains piano lessons and drills. So you have a fully functional keyboard. It was MIDI uh, compatible, multiple outputs for stereo and headphone options, and a lot of different tones for different instruments uh, and sounds. Uh, probably very much like the Casio keyboards that were popular in the 90s. Uh, but it came with 48 songs that you could play along with. Uh, Jingle Bells, Chopsticks, La Bamba, Star Wars theme, Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Uh, so very 90s, uh, but it came with songs. Uh, so if you're interested in learning piano, uh, you now have an opportunity to do that on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And I thought it was really cool to see these types of accessories and peripherals kind of continue to expand. So uh, we're going to start concluding the episode, and I'd like to do that by listing the top 10 games on Game Boy and Nintendo uh, as listed in this issue. So Game Boy's top 10, we have Super Mario Land, Tetris, Gargoyles Quest, Batman, Final Fantasy Legend, Double Dragon, TMNT, Paperboy, Spider-Man, and NFL Football. Uh, all fantastic Game Boy games uh, back in the day. Uh, the NES Top 30, uh, number one, we have Super Mario Brothers 3. Number two, we have Final Fantasy. Number three, we have Crystallis. Number four, we have Mega Man 2, uh, still in the top 10. Number five, we have TMNT. Number six, we have The Legend of Zelda. Note that it is the first Legend of Zelda still in the top 10. Uh, we have Tetris. Number eight, Super Mario Brothers 2. Number nine, Dragon Warrior, and number 10, Back to the Future. So Power Players, that brings us to the end of our issue. Up next week, uh, we have TMNT2, the arcade game. We have Star Tropics, which will be covering the history of Star Tropics. A fascinating game. I can't wait to dive right in. Uh, lots more uh, Game Boy games and a special look at how games are rated by the Nintendo Power team. Uh, the final ad, if you turn to the back cover, uh, is called Hot Buttons, and it showcases uh, the Nintendo seal of quality, uh, which they're calling a hot button. And it has a bunch of different Nintendo uh, games and gear uh, within a specific uh, 1990s stylized vending machine, uh, which I didn't think exist back in the day, but it, it's a cool look at some of the different uh, accessories and some of the apparel that you can purchase if you're a nintendo fan i see a zelda frisbee in there mario t-shirt uh cool stuff so featured music uh for this episode we covered a ton of music uh let's uh run through the list real fast so we listened to year 2000 and x uh with the title theme for Mega Man 3 close to good uh with the stage select and game start theme entertainment system with the magnet man theme close to good again with the hard man theme the Megas with Top Man, the One-Ups with Shadow Man. Uh, we listened to uh, Nostalvania's OC Remix uh, for the Sparkman stage. Uh, Extra Lives with the Snake Man theme. Kojum Dip with Gemini Man. Uh, we listened to Kid Overdrive's uh, Dr. Wily Stage 1. And then we listened to a few more tracks from Close to Good. 
Uh, again, you can check out all of these tracks, uh, links to all of these tracks and more at powertimepodcast.com slash 20. Uh, you have to uh, help support these amazing artists uh, because they are doing such a great job uh, just producing fantastic covers uh, and they continue to do so. Uh, very, very inventive arrangements of a lot of these songs uh, and uh, some of their live performances are amazing as well. So check those out. So ladies and gentlemen, if you made it all the way to the end of this episode, I want to thank you again. Uh, this was a long episode, but I had to squeeze in all that music. Uh, and of course, that interview with Sal, which I really, uh, again, appreciate his time uh, for doing with me. Uh, Power Time Podcast, it is brought to you proudly by listeners like you and your ongoing support by subscribing to the podcast, by listening, by leaving quick and honest reviews on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Uh, these are the things that help me continue uh, to improve the show and help me continue uh, to uh, just uh, put out the best content that I can um, that you want to hear. Power Time Podcast is also brought to you by patrons like my mom. My mom doesn't even listen to the show, but I want to thank her for supporting me on Patreon. If you're eager to throw a few dollars my way, you can head on over to patreon.com slash power time. But supporting the show just by listening and providing feedback is much appreciated at this time. I'm still working on the best possible reward tiers on Patreon, uh, so I'll probably have a more compelling reason to join that in the future. Uh, in the meantime, you can interact with me and the PowerTime community through Twitter by tweeting me at Yo PowerTime, Y-O PowerTime. You can hang out in the Discord uh, channel over at PowerTimePodcast.com slash Discord. Uh, this is where I occasionally share some fun screenshots and discoveries while I'm researching the games and issues that I'll be covering in future episodes. Uh, and then finally, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter and get access to a private Facebook group over at PowerTimePodcast.com slash Unlocked. Uh, so a lot of different things that you can do and different ways that you can interact with me in the community. That's going to wrap up today's episode. I want to thank you so much for coasting down memory lane with me. And thank you as always for your time and your attention. Stay tuned for next episode. We're going to be covering Star Tropics. Don't forget to uh, sign up for that SNES giveaway, powertimepodcast.com slash SNES. And as always, keep on playing with power. Power.